Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. Ace Podcast. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, we're talking the best in TV for 2017. What collectibles we would like to have. How GameStop has continued to prosper in a declining retail gaming space. And can Die Hard really be considered a Christmas movie? All this and more as we once again delve into... Ho, 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 ho! Merry Christmas! The Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back once again. Merry Christmas to everyone out there. This is Gerald Glassford from the Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you listening to us. And, and again, wishing all of you a truly Merry Christmas out there. Thanks so much for letting us be a part of your, your holiday season. We've got a great show lined up for today. We've got Rob McCallum sitting in the Cosmic Crossfire as we talk collectibles Nightwing and the future of GameStop. We've also got my co-host, Josh Peterson. He's hanging out with the guys from Topicocalypse as they recount their favorite Christmas movies. And could Die Hard be one of them? You'll have to listen and find out. Plus, Jessica Boggs and Bridger Cunningham from the TV Ratings Guide and TVRatingsGuide.com. They're stopping by with their thoughts on the best and worst in TV for 2017. It's going to be a great show today as we got Rob McCallum, like I said, standing by in the Cosmic Crossfire. But first, it's our good friend Chad and Hyperschmidt. And this is I Can Tell. And this is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Something's new today. Were you lying to yourself? I can tell you're not the same. They'll find you.
to the pop culture cosmos don't touch that dial wait do, do people still use dials check out what's been going on with the pop culture cosmos show and the pcc multiverse i see the potential for basically like another netflix kind of paradigm shift where here comes this other major player they have a ton of resources apple could change the way that entertainment is consumed they say it's the only time this year that you'll have stars from each brand battling each other. And we know it's not going to be the case, but they like to say that and more power to them, I guess. Well, it's a big first step bringing all those superheroes together. There were definitely some parts of the movie that I that I really enjoyed. And then there were some parts that I thought just kind of fell short of expectation. Part of it has to be something to do with how it's being promoted. And this is a thing where audiences do not agree with critics. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse, every week on the Podcast Radio Network and Apple Podcasts. And over a dozen of your favorite streaming and podcasting options. It is the Cosmic Crossfire. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We thank you for listening. And it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without the man, the myth, the legend behind 
all the great films that you can catch in more information on or direct links to on robmccallumfilms.com. It is Rob McCallum. What's going on, my friend? Oh, just another day in paradise to uh, borrow a line from your uh, playbook, if you will. Uh, that one is uh, going way back, uh, probably well over 100 episodes uh, with Game Source and definitely uh, many with Pop Culture Cosmos. Well, it was quite, quite intentional. I, uh, I tell you that for sure. Uh, life is good, man. Life is good. Just uh, kicking the tires, getting things going, a lot of freelance options, still working with Digital Dreams Entertainment and the Mutant Football League guys. We're, we're working on something for the big uh, console uh, release coming up, so stay tuned for that. Of course, lots of news for He-Man and Kitty is, isn't that far away, and who knows what else might be in, in the works for Rob McCallum films as Gerald's left eyebrow raises involuntarily as I mention such things. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? There's always a project stirring. There's always a percentage of something that could happen. That's true. That's true indeed. A lot of great stuff. Definitely want to check it out on robmccallumfilms.com. Get all the latest updates or Rob McCallum Films on Facebook as well. So what, pray tell, is on your mind when it comes to pop culture? Parks and Rec is over, of course, and NBC announced that props from the series are now on sale. So if you want a piece of that series, that show in, in your life and everyday nightstand then you can uh, purchase some props from the from the set in the series and it made me start wonder and this is maybe a, a question that would be reserved for the glory days of GamerCast. but if you could have any prop from any tv show what would that be that is an excellent question i would probably say just off the top of my head would be the probably whatever model was used for the star trek enterprise in the original star trek series Wow. It's funny. I was thinking Trek too, but I was thinking like a phaser or a communicator. There you go. Do that just one more time. That's going to be my ringtone now or my text alert from you specifically. I'm going to sample that noise. There you go. There you go. I I can't think of anything else that would have something that's really cool and unique right off the top of my head in terms of a prop from an actual live Or Starsky and Hutch's uh, vehicle, the Grand Torino. I'll take that too. Oh, I'd take General Lee over that for talking cars or, or Kit from Knight Rider. I'll take the, the Gran Torino. Although I, that, it will actually, I think, made an appearance in Ready Player One. If you saw the trailer, I think you saw a quick... Yeah, the General Lee definitely makes an appearance. I think the, the, Fran, the Ford Torino does as well. Oh, well then. Did you read that book, by the way? I did this year. It's, uh, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I, uh, I went the audiobook route with, uh, as dictated by Will Wheaton. It's pretty good. You know, obviously myself and our good friend Jay Bartlett and a few other people that you know are, are big collectors. Where do where do things like props sit in, in scope of collection? Are those like the best of the best kind of collectibles that you can get? Or are they just outside of it? Like if you if you were to kind of rank a hierarchy of things that one could acquire in terms of collectibles, where do on screen or screen use props sit, do you think? They should go up very high on the list, if not at the top of the list, because you're talking about something that is, A, is rare. Let's take, for instance, you're talking about uh, the kit car. Yeah, okay, they might have had other cars, uh, other kit cars, but there's only, a, there was a few, uh, you know, like General Lee. There would probably only be, maybe, what, three or four cars that they use the entire series, maybe a couple more. But even then, that's a rare product. That's a rare thing to have 
you know, with any of the props that you would see on a television or film type deal. So definitely if you could get a, a some type of, you know, not maybe a certificate of authenticity or some way to authenticate it, that would be at, be at the top of the list because, you know, with collectors, that's, that's, you got to have the rare, the better, the more valuable, the better. And if you're talking about pop culture stuff such as that, pop culture, iconic films, television series and whatnot, what better way to collect and, and have something that, that is not only valuable, but memorable than a product from the actual show or film itself. What would be higher than, than a screen use prop? So let's talk Star Wars specific. Like what would be a crazier collectible to have than like Luke Skywalker's lightsaber? Probably the signed contract where Lucasfilm signed over everything to Disney. You think that would be more collectible? I think it would be more interesting to have. Well, that's not worth talking. I think it might be more collectible, yeah, because I don't think there's too many of those suckers lying around either. Yeah, but just because it's rare doesn't mean that it's collectible or desired. You ask the average Star Wars fan, what would they rather have, the Disney contract or Luke Skywalker's lightsaber? What do you think they're going to want to display? But, you know, with Luke Skywalker, how many of those? It's the same thing. It's the same thing about it. There's not too many of those either, and it would be extremely valuable. But you're, you ask me what might be more valuable. In other words, there's not too many more things that are more I valuable. I didn't ask what was more valuable. I, I asked what would be more desired. What would, would be, be better? more desired? I'd probably, for me, I'd probably say it's the contract just because I could see all those signatures there. And it's like that's, you know, you're getting right there. Not only is it the actual contract, but you can actually have the actual signatures right there. So you're, you know, you got that autograph going there. So plus it's, you know, worth $4 billion right off the bat. <laughs> and I know it's not. Just, you're a madman. You're a madman. I, I won't even ask you my follow up. You're a madman. Wait, what uh, is right. your follow-up? What is your follow-up? What would be the what would be one below a screen use prop in, in the hierarchy of collectibles? It would probably be well, I don't want to say autographs because autographs, you know, as you know, they, they get you go to cons now, you pay twenty, thirty, fifty, hundred dollars, you can get the autograph of your choice. So it's kind of watered down a bit. Like let's say Rob McCallum. I you know I've got a you know great signed Rob McCallum and Jay Bartlett right here. As far Ironically, as I couldn't find my signature on it when I saw it last month. I know. I was like, where is it? Did I sign it? Like, it's right there, Rob. It's right there. But anyways, uh, I, I would say right below that is just those rare pieces. Those Star Wars toys, if you can get some of those rare Star Wars toys that Kenner put out very early on or the pre-order thing where it was just the pop-up as far as it turned the, telling the, the mail-aways. Yeah, yeah, those are those are rare and those are desired. So yeah, something like that would probably be really cool to have. Okay, okay, I got no comments. I just I was just curious to see what you'd think. Just yeah. curious. That was my follow up. But you know, if the contract, you know, if, if Disney wants to mail it over to me at their end of it, and or or George Lucas, yeah, I'll I'll send them my address. Right. Director Chris McKay back to the DC universe of movies has announced an open casting call for Nightwing, a.k.a. Dick Grayson. He's basically looking for anyone as long as you submit through an agent to the studio. Uh, is it smart for DC to go after a lesser-known actor for a character or a second-tier Batman-associated character? Should they, that be an unknown star, or should they try to bank on a more familiar face? 
I would probably say no, but then again, I'll probably give you a, a better answer after Solo comes out. Well, I think there's a world of difference between casting Han Solo and casting Nightwing. No, they're both iconic figures in pop culture. The difference is Han Solo has been cast as somebody before, so he's always going to be compared to Harrison Ford. But so Batman, had a, Batman won't be compared to the better Batman's, not the worst But this Batman. is not Batman. This is Nightwing. This is Robin. Well, I understand. But he might be compared to Chris wrong. O'Donnell, but like... Okay, I'll give you that. Okay, I'll give you that. Because Nightwing, like you said, is Robin, is Dick Grayson, but... And there really hasn't been... Yeah, that's what I mean. He's never been cast before. He's never had his own movie before. But you're trying to sell a movie. That's what put to the basis. If it's if you're talking about financial decisions, you're, you you got to go with a name actor, somebody that can sell a movie, somebody that can go on those interview car washes, as they call it, and just be able to put out the spiel, you know, how much they enjoyed being on the film and be able to tell people and communicate why it's such a good film rather than go with somebody that's an unknown entity. If you and I are bankrolling it, I think you and I would come to agreement that it would be someone that... I don't know. I don't know that I would. I, I, Unless I they have that know. real it factor. That's I mean, I look at stuff, casting decisions like Brandon Routh. I didn't think he was a horrible choice for Superman. I think that script was necessarily you know, not the ideal Superman script. I think he was fine, and he did what he had to do in that role. I look at Hugh Jackman. You know, he wasn't the first choice for Wolverine, and he was an unknown star when he came into that as well. I look at the cast of Star Wars. They were all unknowns, essentially saved the secondary supporting characters, the Alec Guinnesses, the Peter Cushings of, of that film. So there's a lot of good examples of unknown, you know, heroes, of course, being cast and making their mark. But Nightwing, man, that's not exactly, like you said, it wasn't exactly the highest of properties that are well known among a general audience right i guess what i'm saying is if you can cast wolverine as an unknown you can probably cast nightwing as an unknown but what's up get get away with like the sheer batman factor to make it interesting for audiences Correct me if I'm wrong, X-Men movie came out first, correct? Before any Wolverine standalones. Right, but Wolverine has always been the the fan favorite when it comes to X-Men characters. And Hugh Jackman was not known at all. I'm trying to remember who they originally had slotted for that role, and I can't think of it for the life of me. But then again, it's different because he was part of an ensemble cast. But it was his was story. The, X-Men was a, is a more well-known entity within the realm of pop culture than Nightwing is. Yeah, but Hugh Jackman was the unknown cast member of that entire team, and that film was much more about Wolverine and Rogue to a lesser degree than anybody else was. You know, so it really was their story, and every film after that has essentially been about what is Wolverine doing or what is his role within in the in the larger events there. Because and I that's think an unknown. Of, because I think Fox was so smart enough to realize that. They've got a great thing going. They realize that what he brings to the role and realize they better center their universe around him. But they cast an unknown to, to get to that point is what I'm saying. They didn't, they didn't hire you know, Tom Selleck to be Wolverine and say, we're going to play in this universe around Tom Selleck. No, but wasn't Tom Selleck, wasn't Tom Selleck uh, considered for a Han Solo at one time, I think? He was, and they didn't cast him because yeah. they, wanted an, they wanted a relatively unknown actor named Harrison Ford. I don't think it's totally apples to apples because, again, it's part of an ensemble. But all right, I'll give it to you. It's uh, 
I, I for me, I'd go for a well-known entity, especially with the financial investment you're making these days on these films. Well, then who would you cast as Nightwing? That one I'd have to think about. I mean, they're what they're talking about Jake Gyllenhaal as, as the new Batman. I would not put him as new Batman. I would say he would be more apt to be in that position for a night, Nightwing, but uh, there are probably younger actors as well that might fit the role. I don't want to say Tom Holland because I think that's an easy get, but uh, Eddie Redmayne, the Fantastic Beasts actor. Wow, you see him as Nightwing? No, nah, just throwing it out there as a name. I, I just, you know, there there could be several actors out there. Uh, you know, maybe even go even off a different slant, Donald Liam Glover Hemsworth. What? You can go Liam Hemsworth. Oh my gosh! There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 off the beaten path but i would i would say like somebody like donald glover who already has a is is well known and already uh as well has someone that that has an audience some, something to look at as well as if you really want to go into a a really cool and different direction so he i mean he was just cast as lando right yes yeah i think that probably takes him out of the out of the running why that, that's my guess because it's it's obvious Often really hard to schedule shooting for two blockbusters at the same time. Yeah, so that's be true. Really, and he be is really hard balance. And he is in the Spider-Man Sony universe. Uh, he's going to probably participate in that down the road if, for more Spider-Man movies. There you go. There you go. Well, let us know what your thoughts on who should be Nightwing. Should it be Michael J. Fox or should it be Tom Selleck if this was 1986? Uh, yeah. The last topic is something I wonder if, if you caught in your uh, research through the week, Gerald, and that's some quarterly earnings reports for GameStop. Did you happen to catch some of that stuff? Yep, they're always fun to play with uh, as far as uh, hearing what they have to say, uh, the various things, because a lot of news, the, the best thing about listening to these GameStop comments that they make is that they see things in the video game world from their perspective. It isn't always 100% accurate as far as the entire base of what sells what doesn't sell what's good what's not good but it's interesting to see how from a gamestop collective they see it and how actually their consumers actually are taking in these products and how they're also selling it to them as well yeah i think uh the the thing that's jumped out at me and i and i noticed this on Goodness, did I go out on Black Friday in Canada? I think I did. It's, it's, it's been a while, Gerald. I apologize for the delay there. I actually found myself shopping at a mall on Black Friday in Canada. It's not quite what it is in America. It's the metric version, so it's not as crazy. Um, and I was at an EB Games, which is what GameStop is in Canada. And this stat rang true when I read it recently, and that's that video game sales went up when GameStop in Canada and in other locations specifically switched store uh, geography to have over 50% space for collectibles. So the more physical collectibles, Funko Pops, board games, tchotchkes, t-shirts, hats, lunchboxes, Lego sets, all that stuff, when the floor space when they dedicated 50% or more store space to that, their video game sales actually went up compared to what the stores that are just video game libraries, essentially, or 90%. What do you think about that? 
I'm not surprised because you know where are they located in shopping malls, strip malls throughout North America, uh, EB Games or GameStop. And now these days, if you go to a GameStop, the design and the plan as you walk in. In fact, I went on one too at Black Friday. I happened to check it out and see what's going on, and also Thanksgiving as well. I hopped in on both days to two different outlets, and pretty much what you hit when you cross through the door, the first few aisles or the first one-third to one-half section as you say it is nothing but collectibles and things of that nature and basically they devote only wall space to the actual physical games themselves so i think it's a very shrewd idea i think it's also they learned that quickly after their acquisition of think geek that there really is a place for collectibles right now within the consumer marketplace and that they really, really want to go ahead and push that aspect of it. Because you know, the brick and mortar, as you know, over the years, since we've known each other, the brick and mortar style of game stores has kind of faded uh, with digital sales and things of that nature. So GameStop, much better than, well, other game store entities that have died in this century, the uh, fact that I, I worked for one as well that, that unfortunately met its demise. But they have tried to find alternative sources of income. Tried s- selling cell phones. They tried selling uh, other equipment, things of that nature. And then now they're going into game-related and, and cons- uh, pop culture, consumer-related products. Like you said, Funko Pops, collectibles, what have you, shirts, jackets things of that nature that are that appeal to those individuals when they're going in and looking for games so i i'm i'm excited to hear that gamestop is doing better overall because of it and that their video game sales are going up i'm hoping they'll reinstate that policy that they had about the rental program that they were contemplating and that they actually introduced and kind of pulled back on I'm hoping they'll reintroduce that into the marketplace because I thought that was a very shrewd idea as well. So I'm 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 hopeful for GameStop because I think the video game industry will continue to need GameStop and those brick and mortar stores for the years to come. I know in doing GameSource podcasts and GameSource and yourgamesource.com for all those years, we were seeing the demise very, very quickly of GameStop and those brick and mortar stores, and we were we were spelling the doom off and saying, uh, you know, a year from now, two years, two years from now, there wasn't going to be any more GameStops. But I'm so happy to say that GameStop, as an entity, has found ways to try not only keep it alive, but still maintain a solid structure and a presence out there to gamers everywhere. Yeah, but what can you draw as a correlation between decreasing space? dedicated to games and watching the sale of those games increase. I think people are are now starting to go and migrate uh, to these stores to go check out what great collectibles they have. But it's not like it's, I'm not saying their overall revenue is up, which it was. I'm talking just the video game sales. I'm adding on to that. Is that the fact I think that they're using those collectible sales as a way to draw people in now as well. And while they're there, they're going to go ahead and, oh, by the way, I guess I'm going to go pick up that four for 20 uh, deal that they always like to do with their used games. 
or whatever pre-order the latest game that because i know they're they're huge on pre-orders still within the industry so definitely that's something that i think is now being treated it's kind of a different scenario now when certain people a small amount of people go in there now looking for the collectibles first and using the video games now as an add-on it's a it's definitely a unique concept still yes most people go there just to buy the video games but it's nice to see that people are are going there now to check out what collectibles that they have that may or may not be exclusive and then oh by the way they're picking up a few games as well yeah and i guess that's the only counterpoint i would have is i think eb is still like only known as a video game store and this experiment hasn't been you know proven for that long to say that people are seeing it as a collectible destination first and they just happen to buy games because they're there. People are going there to buy games first. And now they have all these other options that is a part of a new experience. So I'm not sure that either we have enough data or enough understanding of why that's working. I mean, the, uh, the investors of, of EB and GameStop are, are certainly excited about their $50 million extra profit compared to $9 million a year ago, quarter to quarter. Well, I think it's all, all because of that uh, acquisition of ThinkGeek and the way they were able to incorporate that and mesh that with GameStop. I don't think they have meshed that as well yet with EB Games because I don't hear it associated even when I when I look at more the international or broad basis. With well, the ThinkGeek stuff is everywhere in Canada. I can tell you that. Okay. I got I literally got a Black Friday exclusive ThinkGeek Funko Pop that was but only I, I available think, at GameStop. Well, there you go. But I, I think that ThinkGeek and GameStop, at least in the U.S., I know they've become a little bit more symbiotic with each other. Maybe that's that's the reason why. So I'm not sure if that's the case with EB. It sounds like they're still separate entities for the most part. Well, maybe we'll find out what's going on and see if the space for video games dwindles even more, and if that increases sales, or if they stay at a 50-50 ratio or not. Uh, that'll do it for the Cosmic Crossfire topics we talked about. What TV show prop would you like to have in your collection? The open casting call for Nightwing, a.k.a. Dick Grayson, and GameStop sales up with uh, less store space given to them. Well, that's something I'd like to add on to real quick is because you and I both care for our good friends at Retro City Games, Doug and Nicole. They were just a strict video game store first when they first opened up, and and they didn't want to... Uh, in fact, we had touched briefly on this subject before in the past about looking at other options, they didn't really want to go into other options, but you go in that store now, there's a wide array of stuff for that, that that can pique any interest for. You know, my girls love the collectibles that they have there. They have DVDs, things of that nature there. And, and there's just a wide assortment board games that they've even taken in and started selling as well. So definitely they've caught on to the mix and realized that in order to not only survive but thrive as an entity, I think that they have to reach to all those outside sources and, and really make it more appealing to a broader audience. Well, it'd be interesting to ask Doug and Nicole when you have them on uh, the store next or on, on the show next what they think about the plans for their store, how it parallels or diverts from what GameStop and EB Games are doing, and what the future of that space might hold. Awesome, indeed. If you want to ask us some questions about today's Cosmic Crossfire, no problem at all. Just send us an email, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, game source, humanity media, and Rob McCallum Films on Facebook. And then I think you have a Twitter as well. Yeah, it's at Rob McZob. 
something. I, I, I just wanted you to say that Rob Mixup because I just you know that 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 one was a cool Twitter handle. There you go. Thanks. All right. Well, that does it for this edition of the Cosmic Crossfire. Again, check out all the great stuff on robmccallumfilms.com. Rob, as always, my friend, it's been a pleasure having you as part of the pop culture cosmos and, of course, the Cosmic Crossfire as well. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. Yeah, it's Christmas time. We can do a little Christmas right, special. All right, let's do that. You guys what time is it? All right, guys, we're, we're, we're coming at you with a little bonus content here, right. a little little holiday joy for your uh, yeah. Christmas cravings, I guess you call it. So, the, yeah, so the question is, what's the best Christmas movie? Can I tell you my favorite Christmas movie? It's A Year Without a Santa Claus, and it's the one with, like, Snow Miser and Heat Miser. It's, like, one of the old, like, the like stuff. That, yeah, yeah. That's, like, the red-headed stepchild of that claymation Christmas movies. That's the one. That's well, like. What are the other ones within that collection? It's uh, Rudolph, Rudolph, the Red like Babes and, in Toyland, uh, Frosty the Frosty, Snowman. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I feel like I've been missing those for the last seven years. Because yeah, those are really good. Yeah, you, you yeah. I have like a with, compilation. Uh, you know what? Yes, I feel like we should. I feel like we should watch those sometimes. I have. Dude. I have like all of them at my house. Movie night with the. We'll with, the with the kids. Yeah. And Uncle Kyle. <laughs> yeah. Josh, bring your headphones. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I, I, mine is, my, I think the best one is it's, um, a Charlie Brown Christmas. It's I was going to say, if I, had to, if I had to, I like, I mean, uh, you know, Miracle and all those <laughs> right. old classics. And but, but there's something about those claymations. They're short. Yeah. That it really, okay. It's nostalgic. It, yeah. And it really, it really like taps into your soul. Uh-huh. Even before it became nostalgic, yeah. <laughs> like if it's the first time, it almost—it's um, like pseudo nostalgia if you've never seen it. Because you it's like they I mean yeah. because you go like you watch like a newer Christmas movie and you go like ah, but like hey, it's like they already it, made it, right? It's, yeah. But like, but like a year without a Santa Claus to me just like always was. Yeah, <laughs> and it's so eternal. Like, and so like that is Christmas. It is. Like, yeah, it, the, that the, is that's actually that's where Christmas, Christmas came from. The best Maybe. part. The best part about those movies is that they don't have any lasting impact on you. So you watch them, and then an hour later, you forget that you watch them, and you go back, and they feel fresh every time you mm-hmm. sit down. Called to... goldfish movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry I didn't talk about this in episode one about timelessness and objectively yeah. good. Okay. <laughs> Josh, so, oh, go I would it, go say on. I would say um, Charlie Brown Christmas is a must for me. Home, Home Alone, Alone, and then um, don't say Elf. Oh, never. I love Elf. Um, that's fine, but it's not a must-watch. It's not a must. Actually, Home Alone, New York City, only because it's in New York City for me. I don't know why. It's just cozy. It's very it's sweet. Good. Um, now here's a movie I absolutely love, and I have to watch. Is Family Stone. Really? That's yes. That's with Luke Wilson. Is yes. It? Okay. That's really random. That's an interesting one. But it's a hey. 
but it's good. What? What's <laughs> I that? I have to watch it. I don't know what it is. It's probably nostalgia for me. Yeah, maybe because that's like <clears throat> I've never seen that. That seems like one of those movies that's like like when Jack Nicholson does like a rom com nowadays. But here's that why I, that Here, I go. Why would I watch that? Yeah. <laughs> but no, here's why. Here's why I watch it, and yeah. here's why I probably love it is because it's really sad. Uh, uh, like, uh, spoiler: the mom dies. So that? it's really Is sad. That the one with um, Diane Keaton, yep. she's cancer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. but it just the whole. There's something about it that just, again, it's it's a sad movie, but it's also really like happy. It's okay. funny. Do, there's some good. Yeah. There's some good dialogue in there. In in that realm, there's another movie too, like Love Actually. I was gonna say Love Actually. It's Have you guys seen so Love Actually? Good. No, it's really good. Yeah. Okay, so so I hear that and I go, little, it's a little inappropriate. That's so. I feel like that came out on that came out on Valentine's Day. That's why I never wanted to see oh, it. Oh no no no, because I will never watch a Valentine's Day it's, movie in it, my life. No, it's great though. It's awesome. Again, it's rated R. Kids, kids. Yeah, I don't think kids listen. So to this, there's but. a there's a reason I brought this topic up. Every Which, Christmas, I have this debate with people. I always say that Die Hard is not only my favorite Christmas movie, but it is the Christmas movie. And every, well, pe- people okay. always <laughs> people always debate like... We're slowly walking out right now. I, I, can, I can get on board with it being a Christmas movie, but the Christmas movie? It, it's the, defend yourself, sir. It, so it reminds me of Christmas, I guess, more than... Like the other movies, like I, when I watch them, I know I'm watching a Christmas movie. But when I watch Die Hard and I see the Christmas thing, like that's what truly like brings it to mind like it happens on christmas eve it has christmas music and it's got bruce willis killing a bunch of people and it's got alan rickman i mean it's just like that's all the greatest also, argument is bruce willis killing a bunch of people yeah <laughs> also i'm gonna say that um I, it's been years since i've watched it but the fact that they they like took a hostage situation on christmas eve that makes it alan rickman the best movie villain of all time oh right, yeah. right. so much traffic yeah <laughs> on cri- christmas eve that's the worst i think i think about it like this Josh. he just tapped in it everyone knows what that problem's like <laughs> I, so much tension there I, I think about it like this i think die hard is is a christmas movie in how like home alone is a christmas movie where <laughs> it happens to be around christmas time but christmas is not the point of the movie but see, no, I don't, I don't think Home, Home Alone, Alone is. Would, I don't think Home Alone could exist if it weren't Christmas. It's reconciliation. Christmas. But I think yeah, Die Hard could exist in a different time. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a new. I, I, I understand what you mean. But I, I right? Like, a, it's not like supposed to be like. It's not like. It's it's holiday fun. It's the, just like it's Christmas <laughs> in the movie. Yes, like, and that's what I heard the whole, They wouldn't is. be going on vacation it's, if it weren't Christmas. Yeah, but that but see, that's just circumstantial. It's a, My, it's not it's not Christmas in the way that like. And again, I'm not saying this is like one of the best Christmas movies or anything. It's not Christmas in the way that like. Elf really couldn't be a movie if it wasn't <laughs> right. Christmas. Right. Like, my my argument here though is that like networks and people are always labeling movies like Harry Potter a Christmas movie because that's one scene where someone's dragging a Christmas tree through the snow and they're like, well, we can't it's a holiday like movie. That, Josh, like you know it's why because people like that shouldn't exist. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's irrelevant. I don't know what shouldn't exist. No. Yeah. I, he, hey, no I you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I, okay. So I would. I've never seen Die Hard. In fact, when um, this whole thing... Hey, guys, let's just take a moment to uh, dwell on the fact that Travis has yeah. never seen Die Hard. That's and fine. I'm, I think I'm better for I it. I think people that think <laughs> Harry Potter is a Christmas movie are the same people that say Crank Calls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and okay. watch, and watch WWE. That, it was always Prank Calls, yeah. right? I don't know where Crank right, Calls Crank Calls, yeah. Anyways, yeah. go ahead. When you guys brought this up, 
I thought you were talking about Lethal Weapon. Yeah, he, he said the one with like Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. And you're like, so, <laughs> so I have no business then, in this conversation. Hey, funny yeah, story. When I saw you with uh, Danny Glover, I was like, the guy from Community? I don't <laughs> funny, know. What is hey, happening? Hey, funny story. When you said Lethal Weapon, the first movie I thought of was Gone Fishing. <laughs> well, you know, when you say Die Hard, I think of Bruce Willis. And I go, and who's the other guy? Uh, Carl Winslow. <laughs> so here's so, Reginald Bell Johnson, right? Yeah, yeah. So where do, where, just where do you guys stand on this? Do you think can you call Die Hard a Christmas movie? Sure, sure. Yeah, I'll call it a Christmas. If movie. I'm calling Home Alone a Christmas movie, I'm calling Die Hard. That's a, a bad comparison. Movie. I'm gonna oh, say no because Bruce Willis is in it, <laughs> and, and two because Bruce Willis is in it. <laughs> you just not like Bruce Willis? He's not a Christmas actor. He's not an actor. <laughs> actually, I actually do like him in The Kid, Friends. The kid. Friends. Friends, out of all, okay, yes. all right, yes, because it's it's so insane. Um, but here's here's what I was thinking. I don't know why you're, this discussion brought up is I need I need cereal to make another podcast. Yeah, a Christmas themed one. <laughs> but no, here's why I associate the first season of cereal oh. with Christmas because that's when I discovered it, mm. and that's when I listened to it, and that's when I think I single handedly bumped up the ratings. Maybe. Because I shared that podcast with everyone I knew. Shared it like it's hot. <laughs> and it's one of the best podcasts ever. But I have this. And so I want Serial or someone to come. We need a good podcast entering into yeah. my vacation. You know, what's, you know what's Christmas but not Christmas for me? Is Star Wars Episode Seven came out on DVD right around Christmas time. Ooh. And so Taylor and I watched it while we decorated while we decorated the house. We, we just put it on the TV. And so now, as our second Christmas is coming up and we're decorating, I was like, we have to put on Star Wars. And so now we watch Star Wars Episode <laughs> Seven every time we're decorating for Christmas. Okay, so who, who is, who or what is the, you know, they have these like unofficial chaplains of teams. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what is the unofficial movie for Christmas that's not a Christmas movie? Uncle Buck. Okay. Oh All dang, right. yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Like if you had to say, hey, we're gonna, we're, yeah. hey, Home Alone got lost. Yeah. And we're, <laughs> you know, we're having a Christmas and, movie night. You know what the common thread is? John Candy. Uncle mm -hmm. Buck, yes. Yeah. Dude, yes. There yes, will never be another actor like John Candy. We're gonna uh, do a whole episode of John Candy. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know start that thing up again. <laughs> the Great Outdoors, love that movie. <laughs> we didn't even, you know, nobody mentioned uh, Christmas Vacation. I, you know, I, I watched Christmas Vacation. Either. I watched Christmas Vacation recently, and I don't know if it was because everybody's like, oh, it's classic and all this hype, but I was like, that's fine. It's whatever. There's a few moments, but there's no... There, you, know what, you know what it is? It's, it's Wally World or nothing. I, I thought Vegas Vacation was I, I look There's at, some things there. I look <laughs> yeah. at National Lampoon, like a company that just has limitless resources <laughs> to throw into movies that people may or may not watch. And the, and the, <laughs> and the, and the one good one that they make is Animal House. Animal, yeah, and it's so, sometimes it catches with audiences and sometimes yeah, it doesn't. Animal. And they're like, okay, guys, we'll just, uh, that was a bad idea. <laughs> on to the next one. Yeah, they just don't care. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas and yeah, Merry, uh, Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah, go watch Year Without a Santa Claus. Yeah, and Uncle Buck. Yeah. And Uncle Buck. And Die. And Die Hard. And no. look, and, and, and look Charlie Brown Christmas. Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah. Okay, so now we're all just going back and, yeah. and lobbying for our yeah, well. And be on the lookout for episode, uh, episode, 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 uh, episode on movies. Ooh. Oh, okay. Yeah, Exclusive. Yeah. Breaking news. Yeah. I like this. Hey, Kyle, guys. Like, I guess we have our next episode. Yes. For more great shows like Topicocalypse, What About This, Inside Sports, The Super BS Gamescast, and more, 
head on over to Humanican Media on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and also their Apple Podcasts and Podbean channels. Up next, it's the folks from TV Ratings Guide as Jessica and Bridger stop by to share their thoughts on the best of 2017. Hi, this is Josh from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hello, podcast fans. My name is Chris Jones, and I'm here to tell you about the Nerd Bliss Podcast. Now, of all the geek-oriented podcasts out there, we are definitely one of them. Yes, we talk about Star Trek and Star Wars and cosplay and Marvel and DC and the usual. But as geeks, we embrace anyone with very specialized knowledge, like triathletes or improv comedians or musicians. So we try to bring them in and let them share their geekiness with you to help broaden some horizons. And maybe you'll learn something. Maybe we'll learn something. You can find our entire catalog at nerdblisspodcast.com on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play Music, Player FM, and we are now proud to be a part of the ESO Network. Once again, we are the Nerd Bliss Podcast. Thank you and pod bless. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos Show. My name is Gerald Vassar with Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you. You're coming back and checking us out, and they're back again. They're like that awesome rerun you just got to keep on watching that's doing so well in syndication after a hit-run series. It is our good friends at the TV Ratings Guide. Yes, the TVRatingsGuide.com, the place to go to break down all the great ratings that are out there in TV land. Also check out their great reviews their spot-on analysis of the TV market, and also as well, the obvious, of course, the ratings news, the latest and greatest rating news, and check out the Renew Cancel Index on which shows may be on the way up, may be on the way out, and ones that are precariously in the middle. Well, I have here today two great people with the TV Ratings Guide. Of course, my good friend, Jessica Boggs, and also as well, he's here in spirit, but he's going to be typing in his thoughts as well. I'm going to be reading off. It is Bridger Cunningham. I appreciate both of you taking the time to be here today. Jessica, I'll start with you first while I get Bridger to send me in some thoughts right now. What are your top new shows of 2017? I think some of the best performing shows that over exceeded expectations you got the good doctor there's the orville audiences not matching critical expectations young sheldon still doing pretty well will and grace is another one that debuted in 2017 and the fifth one that's the another really good one i would say also with canning from both last season and this season I would say the Mick for 2017. And that's and that's exactly what Bridger is thinking as well, because he's got the Mick, Will and Grace. And of course, this revival has proven to come out very strong and they've been able to recapture that enthusiasm that they created last year with those short scripted pieces that they created that brought back this revival for Will and Grace. The Good Doctor... The Orville, which surprised a lot of people that even though critically it hasn't met up to what they've wanted as far as critics are concerned, the show has 
still continued to hold its ratings fairly well and obviously warranted another season. So we'll be looking forward to that in 2018. And of course, Young Sheldon, which obviously at first was riding the wave of popularity that the Big Bang Theory has, it's now doing well in its own right. Those are some great thoughts indeed. Once again, I have Jessica Boggs and Bridger Cunningham from the TV Ratings Guide. You got to check it out at TV Ratings Guide on Twitter, TV Ratings Guide on Facebook, and TVRatingsGuide.com. One of the things I also wanted to ask you about the year in 2017 were also some shows that didn't quite make the mustard as far as some shows just that you did not really like or a lot of people did not like as well so i know bridger had some ideas on some of the most disappointing shows wisdom of the crowd obviously for reasons there but i don't think the ratings were very strong on it before jeremy piven's demise on a personal basis 10 days in the valley my myself and i obviously that to me alone that title should warrant a tv show that needs to get out of here anyways the brave and the number one show that Bridger thinks is most disappointing, and I'll, I'll see if you agree with that, Jess, is uh, 9JKL. And I have heard this show being trashed uh, all over the internet. He is not uh, the only one. This show has, uh, despite its love from CBS, it's just not making waves with uh, a lot of critics who have, I, I mean, Yahoo and several other outlets as well have, Put that as one of the worst shows on television right now. I want to get your thoughts on the worst shows of 2017. Oh, man. Um, combining both from this season and from summer, number one, Inhumans. This show is getting trashed. Number two, still Starcrossed. Number three, 9JKL. Uh, it was. <laughs> it's pretty funny because... 9JK, let's change the channel. 9JK, losing my Nielsen's. I got number four as me, myself, and I. And number five, 10 Days in the Valley, with the honorable mentions going to The Brave, Dynasty, and Valor. Both of the CW shows not doing very well. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then also, you said Marvel and Humans, which... Uh, that one has pretty much, right from the get-go, right from that initial trailer that was shown, people were just like really just hating on it right and left. And uh, I thought it was kind of creative that they tried to premiere it in theaters, but nobody showed up in the theaters. So I think that gave ABC the sign that it's probably not a show that they're going to last with for very long. I know that the, their thoughts on it are probably not good. And, and it is probably a misstep for marvel and i think they should just focus a lot more on their netflix programming at least while they're on there before they start their own or actually you know put it on hulu that they own now or their own streaming service down the road so dynasty was it was tacky in the 80s uh but it was like it was like a car accident it was can't miss television because you just couldn't turn your head from it and it just doesn't work in 2017 so I, I mean, I personally am. find it to be the greatest sitcom the network has to offer. <laughs> so, pretty much. Because I guess, so. uh, yeah, I guess you could put it that way. It's it's so bad, it's funny. But it's like the cat fight scenes, it's 
it's pretty comedic more than dramatic. True, true, true. But uh, uh, it does not hold the charm from the 1980s. I mean, it, the 1980s series was just as bad and just as horrific when you actually look at it in today's context. But it had its charm all its own, I guess, because people just were so interested in it. And it's something like it was unlike anything anybody had seen at that point in time. So uh, you can't recreate uh, something great. Well, it wasn't even something great for the past, but you can't recreate that kind of uh, nostalgia from the past, it looks like. Yeah. so. And as Bridger said, like the glamour made old dynasty a hit with product placement. Yes, exactly. So, and the studios uh, will still trying to keep reach out for that nostalgia thing as well. But uh, here it is, everyone. We're going to get to the big stuff right now. So, I need to hear what you think coming up because I, I want you to, want you to, to get your get your thoughts together. Once again, I have Bridger Cunningham and also as well Jessica Boggs from the TV Ratings Guide. That's the TVRatingsGuide.com. Your place to go for everything TV ratings and the TV scene. I got to hear from both of you. What are the best, best of the best of 2017? While Bridger is typing his thoughts up right now, Jessica, I want you to share it. Okay, so don't hold back. What do you think? Either best five, ten. What are the best shows that performed above and beyond in 2017? In no particular order, Riverdale over-exceeded expectations with its premiere up year to year. Supernatural was still doing pretty well for its network going 13 seasons. It's a monster. It's not going anywhere. Grey's Anatomy from ABC. Empire coming into its own, but still doing pretty well. Despite falling, still doing pretty well. On CBS, The Big Bang Theory, still doing pretty well after 11 seasons. Uh, what season is it on, really? Because <laughs> it's run for a very long time. The fifth one, I'd say, that does very well. Uh, surprisingly, The Good Doctor. All right. Those are some great choices because, in fact, The Good Doctor seems to be have that love pretty much universal out there. In fact, Bridger himself put the good doctor as his number one choice for the best of 2017 because it gave abc its first rebound hit which is still retaining to that 1.6 1 1.6 uh, to 2.4 demo riverdale has rebounded from what many thought it was a dismal debut to become one of the cw's best that's out there Mom, even on CBS, it's remained steady despite poor lead-ins from the great indoors and, and other lackluster comedies, whatnot, that uh, is still, Mom is, it seems seemingly people are actually just going to tune in specifically Mom. And when you have those ratings that are, that are holding for that show, even though it's not getting the support and love around it, that shows that people are specifically wanting to see Mom, and, and that is definitely a, a show worth retaining long term superstore it still is chugging along it's it's doing very well uh, uh something that was relatable to me as far as uh, my background way back when so definitely a, something that was uh truly enjoyable for me to watch every now and then and obviously it's delivered steady and modest ratings that still continue to be a backbone for nbc on its way back up as a network 
And Bob's Burgers has also bested Family Guy on several uh, occasions. So, you know, it's, it's kind of cool because Bob's Burgers was always that afterthought because Family Guy was promoted so heavily after its revival. So Bob's Burgers now on several occasions, like I was saying, has out surpassed ratings wise Family Guy. So definitely uh, it is something that people are tuning into even above Family Guy on occasion. So that's very interesting as well. This is us. It it's still the, the ratings have, have dipped, I believe, a little bit, but man, I tell you what, they are just doing so well and above beyond expectations. That first season came out like gangbusters. They're still being something that's outside of the box and very creative. As Bridger says, it continues to deliver and places great emphasis on writing and it has not fallen victim to the sophomore slump. So definitely uh, this is us still retaining very, very solid ratings. Jessica, you added in something with Supernatural. I know Bob's Burgers is now definitely, we were talking about that being one of the one of the shows that, that's showing the most growth. In fact, it's now the, the in the top 10 of, of, of sitcoms that are currently on the air. But you were talking a little bit about Supernatural. So tell me a little bit about Supernatural before we head on out. On multiple occasions this season, you would see Supernatural beating Arrow on some occasions. But I was really surprised on the worst performing show like this year, though, overall. I was really surprised with Arrow. You think people are getting burnt out on Arrow or the 15,000 DC franchises that are currently on the CW? Well, yeah, but there's five. There's an upcoming one black lightning coming up in 2018 okay so i missed it by a couple but you get the idea yeah it's too much but i I will say this that supernatural has performed very strongly for something that is 13 seasons in still performing at a level that's that's very high that for the cw that that's great news indeed and as bridger weighs it on arrow yeah it is definitely showing its age it's it looks like the superhero DC Love Fest is, is starting to wane a little bit in certain areas for the CW because e- you know even The Flash, which was once such a vaunted series, in fact something I tuned in in the past on the CW, it's it it is now dipping below the 1.0 mark. So I think they need to reevaluate how they want to grow their DC franchises on the CW and, and maybe look into other realms and, and maybe just try and, and shorten up those series on the DC format, maybe two, three at the tops, but we'll have to wait and see. There's a lot to chew on there when it comes to CW and uh, the DC universe. Once again, it is Bridger Cunningham and Jessica Boggs from the TV Ratings Guide sharing their thoughts on the best and not so best of 2017 in the realm of TV ratings. Both of you, I appreciate so much you taking the time to talk to me today, and I wish you all the best this holiday season and also to you and the TV Ratings Guide. I'm going to see you back here real soon and have yourselves and the entire team a great 2018. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com.
Thanks to Rob McCallum, Jessica Boggs, Bridger Cunningham, and the guys from Topicocalypse for being on the show today. If you have any questions, send us your thoughts to popculturecosmos at yahoo.com or popculturecosmos, game source, or Humanica Media on Facebook and Twitter as well. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful holiday right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos. We thank you for listening, and here's hoping you have yourself a Merry Christmas and a great day. Ho, 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 ho. Merry Christmas. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another edition of the Cosmic Crossfire. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being here today and listening in on, well, our continued coverage, a spoiler cast, The Last Jedi. And I do want to reiterate, if you didn't hear after the break, Josh and I talking earlier with our thoughts on The Last Jedi, all spoilerish and all, remember, the continued conversation between myself and my guests here now and also as well coming up later on in our fantasy football segment where Tyler is also going to be sharing his thoughts as well all spoilers so if you haven't watched the last Jedi maybe you want to continue to turn this off and and check back in after you watch the last Jedi but we are definitely indeed talking the latest Star Wars hit the last Jedi which is now out in theaters we're going to go full spoilers and who who better to talk about The Last Jedi than two of my good friends? They are the stars of Nintendo Quest, which you can get today. Just check out robmccallumfilms.com. Go right there, order it up. And then while you're at it, as a double shot, you can go ahead and get the Nintendo Quest Power Tour, which you know has them in several different episodes. They are available, like I said, at robmccallumfilms.com. It's a great great documentary on Jay's quest to try and collect all the cartridges within a 30-day span of the Nintendo Entertainment System. Does he do it? Or doesn't he? You gotta watch and find out. So I've got them here today. It's Jay Bartlett and of course our weekly weekly man in the know right here at the Cosmic Crossfire, director Rob McCallum. Hey dude, thanks for having me again. It's been, I don't know how long has it been, about a year since last time I was on? I think it was a Rogue One episode yeah. last time yeah that's right uh, it was actually both you both you guys and glenn stanway uh part of the gamer cast crew was here in full and that was uh, that was an awesome talk but this is going to be just as great as well 
I know you guys got a chance to check out Star Wars The Last Jedi. I know I did as well, and I shared some of my thoughts earlier, but I can also interject with you guys on it. But I'm really here to hear your thoughts on some great things going back and forth, on your opinions on The Last Jedi movie, and where the series can go from here. So I'll start with you, Rob, since always your uh, great input in far as pop culture and, and uh, your great insight as a director your overall thoughts on The Last Jedi. This is the worst movie ever made. The equivalent of a Marvel action superhero film. It doesn't even respect the comic book it comes from. It's 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 horrible. Don't doesn't Ryan Johnson ever watch a Star Wars film? Like why is he trying to change my childhood? I <laughs> I don't I don't like anything that he that he has written or anything he pointed his cameras at in this. It's it's just not good because he's not a good person. Are you quoting the internet? I think you're quoting the internet. On that's that's all I've heard recently. Are you, and you signed the petition, correct? I uh, am the petition starter to make sure that episode eight is no longer canon. Um, <laughs> I, I hope it gets Hang on. That, relegated to legend status. Uh, that is a whole segment onto itself. I, I would love to just jump into that right now because I started reading that crap today, but... Let's stay to what we what we think about the film for now, and then we'll get into that stuff. All right, it's, it's no longer just a film; it is a purpose uh, to eliminate it from society and to uh, have it destroy everything. As that's what it's doing already, so we must destroy the film. You know, I don't think it's that far fetched with Rob. I think his opinions sway just a little bit differently, but we'll have to check in with him in a second again on that. But Jay, I know you Ryan watched. Ryan Johnson it. is responsible for the downfall of society. Oh he, my gosh! He doesn't understand laser swords and why they were fun. Uh, I don't know why he wasn't replaced like the other directors. The Star Wars franchise is in terrible, terrible shape. Uh, it just seems like popcorn is more important than story. And why can't everybody let me smile like I did when I was a four-year-old child? Well, Jay, uh, you heard that from Rob. Uh, Jay, you know what? Uh, you, like I said, are one of the biggest Star Wars fans I know. I know you got a chance to see it on Thursday. And I think you also caught it for a second time this past weekend. So what are your thoughts on The Last Jedi? I loved it. That's not to say it didn't have its hiccups here and there, but every single one of the films has. So you just got to kind of go in there and expect that. It was a far deeper Star Wars movie than than I recall seeing. There wasn't as much action as there usually is. And I was totally okay with that. There's a lot of dialogue in it. And I'm really surprised that they kind of tied up most of the loose ends in this one. So it kind of makes me curious where they're going to go with the third one. But just, you know, quickly, I, I absolutely loved it. I, I do not understand why people are going so ballistic. I understand, you know, that it's different and it's hard for people to, you know, take something that they loved from their childhood and kind of take it in another direction. But I love where it's going. I love Luke's progression as a character. I'm, I'm totally satisfied with how his story ends. It's not just hiccups between all the movies, this one was a downright belch of stomach upset vomiting. There was no just slight indigestion. There was more of gravy than of grave about this. Well, that's actually a, a lot of what Josh thinks as well. Uh, my own personal <laughs> thoughts was that I thought the movie was okay. 
The first third was okay. The second third was really lackluster, boring, and a lot of it was unneeded filler. The third closed out very strong. In fact, one of the strongest endings for the Star Wars series, in my opinion, which actually saved the film from being an utter disaster. So uh, overall, I, like I said, if, it's very uneven <laughs> and all over the place, but uh, came out okay. Utter disaster, asteroid sitting for the planet Earth. Thank goodness this movie was good and saved our civilization. They pulled it. Well, thanks. Thank, thank goodness the ending was good. Thank yeah. goodness the last well, third. Those last forty minutes would have brought upon the downfall of society. This little space war movie, if it didn't do something good, oh no, the walls would rain with blood. So here's the thing: you have the biggest franchise in film history. Okay, James Bond. You're you're not going to ever live up to everyone's expectations and i'm not one to get into internet fights but today especially has really really angered me with everyone's ridiculous comments they're just insulting to human intelligence make a petition to make the movie not canon this is a multi-billion dollar franchise okay internet dwellers basement dwellers keyboard heroes whatever you want to call yourselves this isn't something that oh okay you know a couple people don't like the way that uh Luke's character unfolded, so let's undo the canon. That's absolutely ridiculous to the point of being insulting. There, there's a lot of vitriol for it. I will give you that. It is a film filled with lots of people that are integral to the previous editions of the Star Wars franchise and also canon and things of that nature that actually uh, bit the dust in this particular film. Rob, there are several to mention. Uh, among them, Snoke, Luke Skywalker, for a little bit, it was actually Princess Leia as well. So I ask you, Rob, is there too much death in The Last Jedi? Well, too much compared to what? I mean, what is your barometer for enough well, or there, not enough? There was just so many major key characters that... Have you seen any film that Tarantino's done or any World War II film? It, it's just loaded with death. The film is called Star Wars. People are bound to die are you just trying to compare it to other entries and no i'm just trying to compare it to trying to continue the series forward and you have a lot of characters that have provided continuity within the series and a lot of those characters that have provided continuity in the series are no longer going to be able to do so so i ask you was a little bit but too I mean, much no I, I don't think so at all because force awakens episode seven introduced a ton of new characters even if only half of them are still around and you get rid of most of the old guard, you still have tons of characters left to tell a story with. I mean, uh, how many characters were we really bouncing back and forth between in, in the original trilogy? There, there wasn't a lot. There was maybe, what, seven, eight at the most between everybody that actually had lines and advanced the plot. I think there's a ton of characters left and. Well, maybe, some of the, maybe I should say some of the choices on the characters, the who lived and who died. First off, killing off uh, Luke's character and also as well Snoke's character were two key components that people are, are arguing about online that maybe those two could have been an integral part of an Episode Nine and a true closure think, of the series. I think they're going to be an integral part of Episode Nine. I mean, it doesn't take you know a super fan to suggest that Luke might come back as you know a Force entity that we saw like as Yoda even in this film or Obi Wan Kenobi in the other films. He, his training isn't done; just his training and his you know his tutoring in the living form is probably done. But he will definitely appear in Episode Nine 
I'd be surprised if he didn't in order to continue to help Ray, like, you know, become the Jedi that she should be, whatever that means, not necessarily a super soldier, you know, to take down an entire army. Because I think one of the things we learned in this film is a Jedi's purpose is, isn't to be Iron Man. It's to be something else, to be one and connected with things around you. And this was a nice little reminder of that. So I think Luke will be back to help teach Ray what she needs to, to learn to become who she is and find her place, which not might not be at the top. And if you look at The Last Jedi, even in the title itself, it's not about being on the top and in the forefront necessarily. It's just about being a part of something bigger and knowing your role within that. As far as Snoke, I think that his death is going to reverberate as well in a different way. I think it's going to anger Kylo Ren that this person is gone, whether a new villainous force or antagonist emerges or not it, it remains to be seen but he's got enough on his plate in terms of what story options might unfold for episode nine with him sort of in command as the quote-unquote supreme leader the the childlike king if you will kind of ruling over what pieces of the our model are left and there's tons right because they're in full control of the galaxy from what we understood and uh, even though there was a, maybe a small defeat or a delayed victory on that last planet, it's not like he's going to give up when he's that close. Well, I also think that General Hux is the one actually that will be the primary antagonist to Kylo Ren is, is has done with Snoke. But Jay, uh, uh, your thoughts on Luke's death and also the fact that Supreme Leader Snoke has uh, perished, leaving many to question why we invested any time in him at all, because we didn't really get to see exactly the the origins of his character and how he really started to affect Ben Solo to do the things he did. I don't know if you really needed to see that. I always wondered the last two years who he was. Was he around before Palpatine, blah, blah, blah. But that's just us as fans building him up to be like Palpatine. You really think about it. Does it, does it really matter at this point? Does it really matter who he is? He was some dark force user who manipulated Ren into, you know, destroying the temple and taking him under his wing, killing his father, trying to get him to kill Leia. It's, I mean, it re it's really a parallel to Ray's history, right? Who is she? Where did she come from? According to, you know, Kylo Ren with what he saw, she comes from nowhere special. Is that any different than Snoke? But yet it works so perfectly for who she is. Why can't it work uh, just as cleanly for him? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it matters. Uh, you knew Snoke was a bad, a really bad dude. And Kylo Ren, you know, at the end, you know, he took Snoke's abuse for God knows how long. And in the end, he bested him with his wits and killed him. And he became the master. They're not Sith, but it's the same idea. Um, Luke Skywalker is by far my favorite character in the history of any kind of pop culture, anything. And to see him become one with the Force... I, you know, I had a couple tears in my eyes, but it wasn't like, it wasn't horrific because if you know Star Wars, he's not gone. Like Obi-Wan said, you know, if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. He says to Ren, you strike me down, I'll always be with you. He's not gone. Luke's physical form is gone, but that doesn't mean he's not going to be a huge part in, in episode nine. Actually, I'm a huge fan of what they did with Luke Skywalker in terms of his character and where he was at because he's very much that farm boy that we were first introduced at, uh, in, in episode four, where he sees these limitations in front of him. He doesn't believe that he can overcome them. It's all about, you know, what he can't do and what nobody can do for him. 
and it's all these walls and he, he gets put back into that place where it's all these limitations that prevent him from doing anything instead of taking that leap of faith and instead of trying to believe in the force he shuts himself out from that and at this point because he's an adult he he can do more of that and, and it's a little bit more on him as a person to create those own walls for himself so he basically has to get out of that rut again and learn to believe in everything that you know he had learned he must unlearn what he had learned to relearn it so it's actually a really good full circle moment for that character to come back to it's also really funny that in the, the last few days with the hate that the film is getting especially with what happened to luke that his character almost went through what we're going through whereas you know 30 years have passed what happened to him you know we all expect luke to be this ultimate being in the universe where you know, if you face those walkers, you expected him to like snap his fingers and they would all crumble in front of him. Everyone expected to see that. You didn't see that from Luke. You saw a guy who was still vulnerable, who was still embarrassed at his failure, embarrassed at his slight temptation to the dark side. And a guy who's just, he, he's done with it. You know, he spent 30 years after Jedi gathering all the relics across the galaxy to find out exactly everything about the Jedi tried to start a temple with, you know, 12 students and failed. And I don't think the viewers wanted to see that. They wanted to see Luke in his Jedi robes, you know, floating and almost like a god. And they didn't get that. Where I have problems with that is where people think that Ryan Johnson owes them something. Just like they thought JJ. Just like they thought George did. It's like, this is not your series, guys. You know, if you don't like it anymore, then just stop watching it. That's... That's all there is to it. But to, you know, to, to get a petition together, it just, it, it's infuriating. It's ridiculous. It's really I, funny, I think, that the, the backlash is so strong. And I agree with you. A lot of people wanted to see this super soldier basically wipe out everything, you know, with the snap of his fingers to, to decimate and, and live up to the 30 years of legend that we, that we had all been a part of. Like, oh, Luke can save everything. The reality is he's like an aging athlete. He'll never be as good as, as his glory days. And he has to face up to the frailty that, that's before him. So everybody wants this big superhero and to have this overpowered dominance to destroy this big greater evil. And, what, and when that doesn't happen, they leave the theater and they try to take control and power for themselves. It's like they're missing the whole point here of, of Star Wars about the evilness and like forming together and like starting hatred and, and spreading it all instead of understanding and finding everybody's place and in the place yeah. of this film within our culture. They've like completely like erased everything that they've ever learned, not only through this film and the previous one, but the originals as well. Well, I think that's just in the sense of entitlement a lot of people have because they, the amount of time that they've invested and amount of money they invested on Star Wars properties, the movies, t you know, television, the whole nine yards and what have you. So I think that they feel like they have some sense of entitlement in order to go ahead and share those opinions. But it, I, I, like I said, I liked the bold directions which Ryan Johnson made throughout the film. I think it was of anything that you can salvage out of it for me and, and think that it was a positive. I think that's for me was the, was the best part is that he took some bold chances and bold opportunities to put the series into a different direction. And I, I think he, that part of it, it gives me, uh, for lack of a better term, hope that the episode nine and going forward will actually continue to be something that that people will will want to watch and something interesting to watch as well. 
But one of the things I wanted to ask you, speaking of deaths, as we've talked about with, with Supreme Leader Snoke and also as well Luke Skywalker, is Princess Leia. We know obviously as well uh, Carrie Fisher passed away after filming The Last Jedi. And uh, I do believe that it was such a great way to to you know remind us of exactly how wonderful she is. I thought her, her performance was very solid. And I definitely think it was a credit to her and, and what she was, uh, you know, about to go through that she performed so greatly during the picture. And obviously they, they gave her a nice tribute at the end. But there is the fact that early on in the picture, there was an opportunity for her character to be, you know, in the, in the, the cohesion of the script as far as her perishing giving her opportunity to within the context of the story being given her the opportunity or the, actually the the you know the, the script writers and what have you for episode nine and whatnot giving them the opportunity to already have her character finished off in that sense do you think the uh, death scene which turned out to be an actual her showing off the fact that she does have force powers and uses them do you think that was something do you think that was something that could have been maybe should should have stayed in that realm, or or do you like the fact that she was actually given as much context context she was allowed to live and allowed to remain alive by the end of the movie? If I'm if I may, this is again a scene that was strange to see at first, and I will say that because we've never seen anything like that before. But I think it's. I think it, you know, it was amazing. You know, you picture someone using the force, whether a light side user, you know, tricking somebody or moving boulders. You picture the bad guy choking people out or shooting lightning. This was a new way. This was like sustaining life. You know, she she saved herself. I, I think it was. I think it was wonderful. Everyone always wanted to see Leia use her powers, and you know, she felt Han's death and things like that. But everyone always wanted to see Leia use the force. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, because of the unfortunate, tragic, you know, her dying in real life after that the filming events, they could have gone back and they could have just restructured the film to have her perish right there. Yeah, but I mean, the way the way the scene unfolds, where it's Kylo and her back and forth sensing each other, and he's got his finger on the trigger, and then he just can't do it, like if the TIE fighters had shot the side of the ship out and she died there, where would his character have gone from there? Right. It just wouldn't have made a lot of sense. But, still, but now you have the dilemma of trying to figure out a, a respectful and, and obviously crowd pleasing response to finding a way to gracefully. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let, let's make it clear. There's, there's nothing about this film that's trying to be crowd pleasing. Well, that's so true. Why, but why would I go forward with, with more crowd pleasing so that there, are, you know, are less petitions out on the next go around? They'll figure out. They'll figure out a, like, sol figure out a solution. It'll have to be either an off-screen death that takes place between the films, or it'll have to be something that happens at the beginning of, of Episode Nine. That's, and that's the what reality. I want to ask you, as someone who who writes, who has written scripts and things of that, screenplays and things of that nature, you're presented with this, and I, for lack of a better term, dilemma. So you're going to have to come up with something like that. Is that going to be would, satisfying I, if, enough if, as far if, as from a filmmaker standpoint? If it was up to me, I would open with her funeral scene, just like we saw Qui-Gon's funeral 
you know, in, in Phantom Menace, I would probably open up episode nine with something like that. The fact that she passed away in real life shouldn't be this big burden I have as a screenwriter to please millions of fanboys around the world to get the story perfect. You know, that, that, it, feel, it feels really strange when people complain that she lived and was in the film longer because she died in real life when they could have, you know, killed her off at that point. Yeah, there are ways to rewrite that, but maybe so much of it was already shot with her interacting with all these characters. It would have been tons and tons of reshoots, which would have opened up more and more problems. And like, let's forget the whole financial side because, you know, we think Disney has billions and billions of dollars. There could have been so many other complications with scheduling with some of these other actors that are pretty big up and coming. You know, Oscar Isaac, for example, he's got tons of stuff on his plate that he's doing. Could he have come back to, to redo all those scenes with Poe? Could Laura, Laura Dern really come back to fill the gap that Leia was, was basically, you know, passing down that torch? I don't know. There's, there's just too many unknowns that we don't have from our side of the curtain. And it doesn't matter. This is what the film is. They'll have to figure something out. She won't be around unless they, you know, do like holographic, you know, recreation, which they've already said that they won't uh, because of the backlash of, of, of Rogue One and what happened there. And people wondering if that's going to be part of episode eight and nine. They've already come out and said that. So it's, it's just not a big deal. One of the major complaints fans have is the middle part of the movie. Uh, the middle section of the movie seems to be a particular sticking point for individuals, fans, and myself that have issues with the film. I thought there was a lot there that could have been taken out. I thought there was a lot there that was convoluted and, and was unnecessary and was giving uh, a lot of the characters just something to do to get them to the end point of the movie. I want to ask you, Jay, there is a part where Finn rose head to Canto Bright, uh, basically the casino world, uh, to acquire the services of a codebreaker. In this case, it is DJ, uh, which stands for Don't Join, uh, with Benicio del Toro playing the role. Uh, was this, did it, what, when you were watching it, did it come off like it was really important or integral to the picture, or with the way that? Uh, DJ ended up really just not being making a whole much uh, a, a big of an impact, and also as well, uh, the, you know, the the whole episode where they were trying to go ahead and break the code and and go into the the Imperial ship and try to go ahead and and uh, defeat the the First Order that way. Did you think it was just something for those characters to do, or did you think it was necessary to the actual plot to get the entire movie over? Or do you think, like a lot of people, like myself, that it could have just been something that was left on the cutting room floor? No, no, I, I love that story arc. Um, first, I'll go back and say I love that they were being chased the whole movie, that the resistance was being chased by the First Order, and that was something that was really, really appealing to me. Um, Finn is very impetuous. He's very, like, he doesn't know what he's doing. He wants to be the hero, but he's just, he jumps at everything like Poe does. It's really interesting to see that they went to find the guy with the red lapel and they found him, but they got arrested before they actually got to find the guy that they were supposed to bring back. So instead they have to settle for this scumbag that's in the cell beside them. So they didn't go there to find DJ. They went there to find this other James Bondish looking dude that we see at the, you know, craps table or whatever. Justin Thoreau, uh, by the way. Oh, there you go. Okay. Um, I thought it was the the Captain America guy for a few minutes when I first saw him, but um, 
What I like about that scene, and a lot of people are complaining about, is that Finn and Rose get thrown in jail for parking illegally. Now, why I like this is because throughout the saga, you see all these heroes go to multiple worlds and basically do whatever the hell they want in these worlds. Now, this was a place where Finn and Rose parked in a society, in a city, and they can't do that. And it's cool to see, like, that world's law, like, arrest them. Like, you can't just come in here and do what you want. You know what I mean? Like, they got caught by the police. I think it's fantastic. And um, on the subject of DJ, I think he's one of my favorite characters in that film. Benicio Del Toro is just, I couldn't take my eyes off him. He was fabulous. Rob, what are your thoughts on that middle part of the section? Because like I said, I have, I, to me, it just came across as filler, but uh, Jay obviously has some great uh, counterpoints to that. But what are your thoughts on that that trip to Canto Bright to, you know, how, how integral was that end of the story to the actual whole, whole overarching theme of The Last Jedi? I think uh, I'll have to see what happens in episode nine, because that kind of sequence and the very last scene of the film seems something that would be fitting more in a closing chapter that kind of casts the light towards what the future might be, which is what we got with that last scene that also happens on, on Canto Bright. As far as its its place within The Last Jedi and its purpose and its function, I mean, it could be completely removed. And the story wouldn't change. Um, Finn and Rose never really, you know, complete their mission. They still end up back with the rest of the Rebellion. The characters needed something to do from a functional point of view, whether it was that or something else. I'm not sure. It felt like another cantina scene when they arrived in the casino, which felt a little stale and stock to me. Um, I uh, I don't mind the messages about animal cruelty and like you know there there are no good guys and bad guys. It's not as you know decisive as we see. People are selling arms to both the rebellion and, and the first order. That's all great. There are other ways to handle it. I think the biggest problem I have is the clunkiness in which that story kind of gets launched off where we're in this chase, very much like Empire Strikes Back, which is a, a constant chase movie as well, with uh, the Empire constantly on the Millennium Falcon and then eventually tracking them to Cloud City with, without their knowledge. So this is very much like that. Um, is The clunkiness is in that they can slip away from the first order without them seeing because Billy Lord is, you tells, you know, uh, whatever her name is, that it was just a piece of space debris that, that shoots off. Like that maybe kind of sort of foreshadows how the rebels were planning to leave their big cruiser ship and, and kind of sneak off to the little planet, almost like, you know, wayward pieces of junk, like we saw in empire. But at the same time, it's like, well, if, if one ship can just, zoom out why can't they all just do that <clears throat> you know i i so I, I would question that if they can just kind of one at a time leave and nobody cares because everybody's you know tracking the big ship and what it does going to light speed then they all could have done that well speaking of like that I, i'll go ahead jay you wanted to that's okay i was just gonna say again it's another uh dj's character is another downer and again, it doesn't have that Hollywood resolution. Like, he's not Han Solo. He's not Lando. He doesn't have a heart of gold. He just says basically, oh, we got caught. I made a deal. And that's it. And he leaves them there to get executed. I, th I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his character for sure. And I think the biggest thing that they could do 
with what they've done with him is bring him back. I really hope he is just as we see him and we never see him again unless he shows up in some other standalone film that is loosely connected to this in a small way. I don't want to see him in episode nine. Let him be who he is. We've seen enough of him. He served a purpose. That's I it. agree. There, there's characters. I know your favorite scene in Force Awakens where I was on Hansa or Ivana's ship when Kanji Club and Balatik oh, God. corner Han. I was but so I liked, disappointed when liked, Kanji Club didn't show up in this. I liked Kanji Club. I liked Balatik. Uh, but, you know, when The Force Awakens was done, I didn't need to see those characters again. So I really hope, as much as I do like DJ, I hope that that's the end. He's gone. I, I like the actual movie that Kanji Club actually was in first before they were in The Force Awakens. I think that was much better representation of, of by the members of Kanji Club, personally. But we won't go into that one. That one's, uh, you know, for, for some action fans if they actually want to seek that out. But... Um, a conflict between Poe Dameron and Vice Admiral Holdel, played by Laura Dern, arises halfway through the movie based on separate plans to thwart the advances of the First Order. Doesn't it make sense for Holdel to have informed Poe of her plans in order to avoid this continual conflict between the two? And, and just because to me, it seemed like an unneeded squabble if she just informed Poe uh, what was going on because he was a thorn in her side throughout that period of time until he realized, Oh, that's what she's doing. And if, if he had just been notified of what was going on, he could have probably, it would have saved exactly any type of, to me, what was unnecessary. Uh, I disagree. Because the way I, I see it, if, if Holdo has just seen this pilot risk the lives of how many people got most of them killed. And no matter what she says to him, He's going to have his own idea. So whether she tells him the secret plan and hopes it gets away and, and, and gets off without any issues, or she doesn't, she, she's screwed either way. It's a double-edged sword. So she's better off not having to cater to the lonely uh, like pilot who thinks you know, he's above everybody else. Does this sound familiar? Like the fans of Star Wars out there you know, who just want everything their way, and they're going to do it no matter what, and they're going to bitch and complain? Or should you know, the person in charge just do what's right because they have a grander vision that some people with limited vision don't see. Yeah, let me okay. let me ask you guys this question. I don't want to get off topic too much here, but if I may, I don't watch the superhero stuff. So when a Marvel movie comes out, like a big one like The Avengers, is this the same kind of reception it gets? Like if, like the Infinity Gauntlet trailer came out, Infinity Wars, and I remember when they showed Thanos coming into the Earth realm, and everyone like started making fun of them and making memes of them and stuff like that. Like, are all the big releases like this? Well, I can tell you, uh, the last one was Captain America: Civil War. Would be something like that, and uh, for the most part, a lot of people enjoyed that, and and it did not get the kind of backlash that seemingly the Last Jedi has gotten now. Well, what was the reception to Spider Man? Because that came out this summer. Pretty favorable because Spider Man. Well, no, 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 no. Okay, here's a good example: Justice League. Well, Justice League, or there anything you go. DC. Oh, okay, I'm just, I'm just curious because I wondered if the those fans of the comics have the the same sense of entitlement, like, oh, you know, this is what Spider-Man should be doing, or this is what Superman should be doing. I just think it's funny. It's like, I don't know. I'm really just annoyed. You guys caught me on a, <laughs> a good day today because I'm really pissed off about this whole thing. It's like, 
You know, did you go to film school? Did you study? Did you work your ass off to be able to get into a position where you get hired to write Star Wars? Of course Jay, you didn't. Jay, more importantly, <laughs> what's it going to take today to get your name on that petition? I need to know. I'm going to put your name on that petition. I just need to know what I got to do to get it there. Oh, man. You couldn't. You would have to kill me and chop my hand off. And even at that, I wouldn't. Okay, we have a starting point. I like this. As long as we got a starting point. Natural salesman and me comes out because we we have a, an accord to work with. You, you listen, listen. I put this on. Uh, my good friend Joe uh, wrote something on Facebook regards to this, and I wrote a response, and I just said, you know, they didn't like the special editions, they didn't like all the stuff added. Okay, they didn't like the prequels. Right, Rogue One was boring and lifeless. Force Awakens plagiarized the New Hope, and now you have this. Star Wars is not episode four, five, and six anymore. These people need to evolve. And I think I love when Kylo Ren says, you know, let the past die. It's exactly the same thing. It's like you're going you're gonna to grow with this franchise and get out of this little Luke Han Leia bubble that you're in. Or, you know, just let it go, man. But you, you don't even have to. Like, those films don't change. They're still there. You no, but people's expectations. Like, Han Solo shouldn't have been killed by this bratty blah, blah, blah. Luke shouldn't have gone down like that. It's like, you know, if you don't like the way they're going anymore, don't don't watch it. There was a no. Time I gotta watch it, Jay. I have to. It was four, five, and six versus one, two, and three. Now four, five, and six are way in the minority of Star Wars content out there. If you don't like the way Star Wars is going, ladies and gentlemen, just stop liking it, and that's I can't. the problem. I have to, I have to People can't to stop it. hating it. They love to hate the series. I have to. I have to. That's what my keyboard's for. I have to love, hate it, love, hate it. All right, children. All right, all right. As as Jay drinks more tea from his porg mug. Yeah. Uh, exactly. So he has already bought into The Last Jedi, apparently. So, so uh, he's all in. So that, that's great to see that he's so enthusiastic about these series. I'm not, I'm not bought into it, my friend. I, I, I think it's a quality movie, and, and it expands the universe in, in a way that we haven't seen before. I think it's fantastic. So anyway, sir. Go on. No worries, no worries. Uh, but uh, yeah, I will say, ask one more question, then I'm going to go into like another broad statement after that. Um, your thoughts on the interaction between wrong. Luke? Oh, I'm sorry. It's just all wrong. My thoughts are wrong. Your thoughts are wrong. This movie is wrong. The internet is right. No, no, no. It's your opinion, and you're entitled to do so. Nobody's entitled to anything. Let's just lose that right away, okay? Nobody's entitled to anything. Let's just well, stop there. Quit giving them say, a platform. Uh, Let's just say you did. Let's just say you had an opinion. What were your thoughts on Luke not, and Ray on the I'm island? I'm entitled as far to as an that? opinion. I may share it, but I'm not entitled to one. So let's share. What, what share your thoughts on on Luke um, and Ray and that whole interaction and, and quasi training that took place during the Last Jedi. It it mirrored the the Dagobah training, you know. Except Luke wasn't testing Ray. Luke genuinely just didn't want to do it. Where Yoda was being difficult on purpose. I liked it. I thought it was long. I thought we got to spend a lot of time with those two characters. And isn't it really freaky that Luke, once he's on the island, like that's that's it. Like he never comes off it. It's crazy. Uh, Rob, and then also the interactions between uh, Luke and also Ben Solo, aka Kylo Ren, while they're interacting with that Force little mind communication thing, because that that happens at several points in time. If you were directing The Last Jedi, would you have also included those as well as a way of context and the, the struggle between the light and the dark? Okay, so we're, 
Let me answer the first question, then I'll answer your other seven that you that you tell me I'm entitled to answer. Um, the first one, uh, as far as the training stuff on the island, um, I think it, uh, it it's 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 satisfying in a way because Ray learns nothing that she didn't already have, and Luke has nothing more to give than he's already given. And once both characters realize that. There is no purpose for this to happen. Like, there's nothing more to gain, really. There isn't really necessarily an arc until they both realize that point that I don't need anymore, and I don't need to know who my parents are to go to the next step. And Luke realizing it's not right to give up, then then that that's the point that of all that matters. But there's nothing to gain there in terms of like a mentor trainee relationship or like turning Ray into a Jedi. And that's like, what that's people that's what people wanted, Rob, and that's why everyone's losing their crap is because they wanted to see Yoda and Luke again. Like like Well Luke they did. But no 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 I mean I mean <laughs> And Yoda said no, You're no, no, an no, idiot, no. Skywalker. You're an no, idiot. No. Go ahead, burn the tree, but I'll burn it for, first because that's how, how much your entitled opinion on how to handle things matters. You stupid Star Wars fanboy. Screw you. No, they wanted Sorry. to see Luke Train Ray like Yoda trained Luke. They wanted to see that kind of like her yeah, upside down and lifting rocks and doing all that stuff, and they didn't see it. So it's another thing. But the again, cool thing is that, they can watch they Empire, just like Empire, right? They can go back and watch Empire if they want to see that. They don't have to keep getting the same old stuff with a shiny new package. They can actually get something new and learn to deal with it instead of being stuck in this little nostalgic bubble of what feels safe to them. For me, some of the best parts of the movie with actually Luke Skywalker reminding us almost like a, like I think like you had said before and mentioned before, Jay, that it was almost like a, a play-by-play of what happened in the past and what people expect even now from him. And what eventually happened in the movie, I think, was was a great way to send off Luke's character, even though he had the forced heart attack and died right there. But uh, obviously, it's what episode nine, that? I think. The forced heart like attack, right there. Like a dog in the desert. <laughs> there you go. Something like that. But you know. Um, so to go back to that. If but I, episode nine, he's gonna. It's gonna be like like I think Rob said as well that he will be appearing in in obviously the fashion that that Yoda did in this movie and obviously others Ben Ben Kenobi has as well. The only thing that I would have changed in that part uh, is when Kylo talks about what happened with Luke, and then when Luke talks about it, I don't think. They should have visualized it. Um, that was kind of a little weird looking to me. It was really strange looking. Um, I think but that, I, I, not everybody's a big a fan as you. So some pe- a lot of people do need some type of context yeah. to see that actually happened. I liked it because, uh, because I'm a huge fan of when we see perspective shifts and how everything is different from a certain perspective. Uh, and for them to visualize it really showed us uh, how far Luke had bought into his own fame and his own his myth. They like over stylized, you know, the look, the angles, the lighting. Uh, his eyes were almost sunken in and dark. Like you could see that he had almost given into the dark side a little bit with, you know, how great he thought he was. And, and he was like feeding his ego, with, even in both versions that we saw there. I thought, uh, I thought seeing those flashbacks was, was pretty great. With, and finally, I'll, I'll ask you guys this, and we'll leave it on this note because it's been a great conversation 
Alrighty, and once again, appreciate everybody listening in on the Cosmic Crossfire. I'm here once again with my good friends, Jay Bartlett, and also as well, director Rob McCallum. You want to check out their great film together that they made, Nintendo Quest. Check it out today. RobMcCallumFilms.com has all the info on how you can get it. And I'll tell you what, it is a can't-miss documentary indeed. So I, I'll leave it with you guys with this. With so many key figures gone and having the feeling like this is more, to me, for, from my personal vantage point, feeling like more like an end of a trilogy as opposed to a continuation of it, where can the series go from here in Episode 9? And Jay, I'll, I'll start with you first. Well, you're going to see Kylo Ren become more powerful than Darth Vader ever was. You're going to see a darker... He he's he's black now. His heart is black. Like he he's done. He's just full of hate. Um, there's no turning back for him now. So you're gonna see him in the first order just become this like onslaught. I don't know. It's kind it's kind of scary because there's so few resistance fighters left. I think or people. I think there's ten ten or fifteen left, including Leia and Poe. So yeah, I, I really don't know. Maybe there's going to be some other characters coming back from the trilogy, like Lando. We haven't seen Lando. I don't know what he's going to do. <laughs> he he should have been on on Canto Bite or whatever it is. Canto Bite, yeah. Yeah, he should have been there gambling and stuff. And they should have had pod racing there too. Yeah, that's uh, what I, I, I agree with you. Maybe that would have spiced things up a bit. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know. I agree with you, Gerald. I think uh, this one very much closed it off like the third film. Like most of the questions were answered except, again, who Snoke is. But yeah, we find out who Ray's parents are. Uh, Luke does the big ultimate sacrifice to save Leia and the rebellion. So it's interesting. Yeah, like you know, are they going to introduce another big villain in the final film? Like, I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense. Well, I, I'm not sure 100 percent that they they gave full contexture to Ray's parents. I'm not 100 percent sold that they were just junkers. Uh, I think. Okay, uh, you know what? You must have signed the petition pretty early on if that's what you believe or if that matters i don't know i just you know you know i was just gonna say the way the way kylo ren says it to her he's almost annoyed like you know because he's this big skywalker and like the the pressure is on him to do this and he can he's got to deal with some sort of junk trading he's he's annoyed and it's almost like he's talking to the audience he's like he's like you still don't know he's like there there were no one they were well, I, I will give you Anakin from the from the prequels was obviously didn't come up from the greatest background either, so that that could yeah. Be. But his metachlorian count was off the charts. <laughs> I signed a petition about that one. <laughs> Jay, any last thoughts on that? I'll just say you know, JJ and Ryan Johnson, both those guys, you can't even begin to understand the responsibility that's on their shoulders. So guys, c- cut them a break. Do you know what I mean? And, and JJ for the next one, just cut them a break. And, and if you're not a fan of the direction it's going, there's plenty of other films out there you can be fanboys about. Just just let it go, man. Let it go. There is a Fantastic Beats coming out next year, but we, we won't go there. Uh, Rahab, any last thoughts on what we're talking about as far as where can the series go from here after all the events that took place in The Last Jedi? I uh, I think you're gonna see a more balanced a- approach to things. I certainly hope we don't see like another. If we destroy the Death Star by doing this exact thing, we will save the galaxy. 
I think, uh, gosh, I hope we have some sort of importance to Finn because he's a character I haven't liked since Force Awakens, and I've been waiting for him to make a mark with something that I can actually get behind. But like Jay said, he's just jumping at any opportunity that comes his way. It would be nice if he actually gets grounded and has a purpose for existing. Um, I, I think that he might be able to help turn the tide within the First Order and rally some of those troops uh, that are so faceless and, and, and numbered and unknown and actually show them that they can have an identity and that they can kind of, through the ranks, take down the First Order that way. And that's the kind of rise of the rebellion too. But I don't think that anybody can be like a big winner at the end of the day so that they're in power. I mean, we learned that and we were reminded of that again in episode eight when Luke talks about the Jedi being at the height of their power. You know, it was the most blind time of them as we saw through the prequel trilogy. So one side having the most isn't going to be the greatest thing. It'll be about finding a balance uh, at the end, which is really tricky in a Hollywood film. So uh, we will see where it goes. Definitely, we will indeed. But unless the want... petition says nobody wants episode nine now because they're so upset with episode eight, uh, I doubt that will happen. So, yeah, no matter how, matters, do you think it's going to stop Disney? What people write on the internet? No, probably uh, not. Probably not. The dollars—that's uh, the only thing that will stop the the Disney from Disney from thinking and reevaluating the Star Wars franchise. Is people voting with their pocketbooks but if they keep coming in droves yeah but just keep... remember at, sci-fi was a, a horrible genre relegated to planet of the apes status before a new hope came out nobody wants to watch a sci-fi film those are stupid that's what everybody said and then star wars came out and then nobody wanted nobody was going to want to buy the action figures toys for movies don't sell only tv shows sell toys well that was wrong there too and then everybody hates Ewoks. Oh, God, what, what are they doing? They wrecked, they wrecked these movies because they had Ewoks. And they had a little green creature thing in Empire. Oh, stupid. But oh. you know what's funny, too? Did they ever think that, you know, Harrison's well in his 70s. Mark's almost at 70. You know, how many more movies do they think in this current universe they're going to make with Luke Skywalker? Not that they're going to write him out because of his age, but you know what I mean? Like... Well, they didn't write Carrie Fisher out because of her death, right? So, like, why would they write somebody out because of their age? Well, maybe these guys are just like, you know, we'll do a few more, but, like, you can't have Luke Well, Scott they really said 90s. episode nine would be her last. She's already on record saying at least to be last for a while, she said. Well, regardless, the, the point I'm trying to make with all this petition crap that's going on is everybody has always been vocal about things that they don't like. It just seems there's a much more presence and volume to, the, to it now because of the internet. I guarantee you the the reactions have never changed. It's just that they're more present in our faces because we're stuck to these screens and everybody's talking about what they want because everybody's used to getting what they need. Definitely some great points indeed. Guys, before we head on out, I want to make sure that you both get in some time to plug exactly what's going on in your world. Rob with robmccallumfilms.com and Jay We'll start off with you with your great organization, Star Wars Echo 3. Uh, yeah, my charity group is called Star Wars Echo 3. We pretty much show up and do events and raise money for anyone that's in need. We're big with the Children's Health Foundation and also with the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So you can follow us on Facebook at Star Wars Echo 3. Send us a message if you're interested in joining the crew or if you need us to attend any of your events. We're total nonprofit, so we will show up and just make people's days a bit brighter. And Rob, what you got going on with all the great things that are happening at Rob McCallum Films? 
Oh, there's always something going on. Of course, we're gearing up for the release of the Kitty documentary and Power of Grey Skull in the not too distant future. I hope, hopefully, we'll have some dates to share in 2018. But, you know, you keep mentioning this Nintendo Quest movie that that Jay and I are are on, and frankly, Gerald, it's it's getting old hat to keep talking about that film over and over and over again. Well, you keep it's, telling me it pops up all over the world, my friend. It would certainly be nice to talk about a new film with Jay and I. It would be really interesting to mention something Star Wars related with a new film with Jay and I. Well, since we are here, and I know you two are always thick as thieves, as the saying goes, what do you have planned? What do you have in mind? What do you have going on with you guys both in something new within the Star Wars realm? Well, we've, we've got something up our sleeves. We're closer uh, than ever before to announcing something. It does involve Jay and myself. It does involve Star Wars. There will likely be a, a big campaign push, uh, probably a Kickstarter presence. And it's, it's going to take it up a notch in ways that Nintendo Quest could never do. And uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to say more at this point until some of the pieces align. But get ready for it. Well, I know I'm going to get ready for it because uh, going on the ride with you guys with Nintendo Quest was certainly one of the greatest experiences that I've had. And I'll tell you what, anybody out there that wants to go ahead and find out more of what's going on with this upcoming project, they just have to stay tuned to Rob McCallum Films on Facebook, Rob McZob on Twitter, and also robmccallumfilms.com. Guys, it's been great having you on, sharing your thoughts on The Last Jedi. Hopefully you guys won't be signing any petitions anytime soon. But I truly appreciate you guys taking the time out to talk to me and also as well everybody out there about The Last Jedi right here in the Cosmic Crossfire. 